Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to your claim lawyers. A no-win, no-fee, personal injury. Injury Claims Law Firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au Corp is coming in, build and a world record. Ian Thorpe, the birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Australia have got it! Australia is back on the biggest stage. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Everybody and welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Today, we're joined by a dual best and fairest winner, an All-Australian and one of the best exponents of the handball our game has seen. Tough and brave, Craig Lambert played 219 games for Richmond and Brisbane and he pulled on the big V jumper as well for State of Origin battles over the course of several years. In more recent times, he has played a very important role for Brisbane and GWS off the field. Craig, welcome. Thanks a lot for joining us. No, it's my pleasure, guys. Looking forward. Hey, where do we find you at the moment? Sydney, so not great here in Sydney um, with those numbers, but um, I know Melbourne Melbourne had their fair share over the last 12 months, so uh, we're going through it now, so hopefully, hopefully we can get on top of it. Yeah, well said, and I think if anyone has sympathy for Sydney siders and, and those living in your state at the moment, it is very much uh, Melbournians. So, is it a part-time player development role that you have at the moment under Leon Cameron at the Giants, Craig? Yeah, Sam, it is. It's a, it's a part-time role in the development. Um, initially, it was about working with the first, second and third year players. But because I've got a really good relationship with um, Amy Buchanan and Mark Mathay, and obviously Leon, um, I sort of helped out with a, with a bit of the contested footy and also the stoppage work was probably, that was my craft when I was playing the game a long, long time ago. So it's been a really good fit. I mean, it's been fantastic to get back to a club that I really love. So development, welfare, relationship building, like you say, they're all words, I guess, that you hear around the modern game all the time. But you were active in this space, weren't you, a long time before it was fashionable. Why was that? Why did you gravitate to this line of work post your playing career? Bit of a touchy touchy subject really because uh, it was when Lee Matthews wound me up at the end of 2000 I was actually uh, I was a bit of a joke I, I was I was obviously breaking down the last couple of years with my body at Brisbane when I was starting to mm. really sort of challenge for premierships and um, and Lee Matthews is just uh, one of my great friends great mentors one of the best people I've met in sport really and um, at the end of 2000 when I um, calfed probably three four times that season he um, he gave me a call about round 20 and I was contracted for 2001 you don't really want at 31 when you've done your calf at three 
three or four times in a season. You don't really want that call at round 20 from your head coach. Yeah. Um, and Lee said, listen, can we catch up for lunch? We went and had some lunch and, you know, Lee's very strong and direct and um, one of the things I love about him and he, and he was really just straight up. He just said, listen, um, you've done so much for this football club, Brisbane. We'll never retire, you know. Um, if you want to go around in 2001, you can. But he said... I've got to be honest with you. I, I think that you could be so much better for me in a, um, in a coaching role. He said, I've never known anyone that can sort of understand how players are feeling and connect with players better than what you do. And he said, I really need that as a part of my coaching panel. And he said, I'd love you to fill that role next year. And me being a super competitive person, guys, um, went home to the wife that night, Melissa, and... Um, I said, yeah, he's former old Matthews trying to wind me up. Yeah. So I, was, I wasn't too too happy with um, But I, but in the end, you know, I understood what he was saying. I understood that, you know, I've always, even when I was younger at Richmond, I've always tried to help young players come through and um, probably get that from a month. The following day, I played against Mount Gravac coming back through the reserves. Did my car for the fourth time. Um, mm. Walked up to where all the partners and the wives are watching the seniors. And my wife, Melissa, called me over and she said, Craig, I think you should take that job. So um, that was the history um, of me um, getting involved in coaching and involved and development which all all come together i mean if, if you're an assistant coach and you don't have that welfare yeah. development arm i just think you're really selling the players short a bit yeah yeah and gee whiz i mean lee matthews has spoken so highly of you and all the uh, times he's had the opportunity to do so in the years since and he, he's on many occasions said your house in brisbane along with melissa your lovely wife was just a second home for a lot of the young guys even young guys i've heard him talk about like brad and chris scott now that's not meaning to make you feel old but you've been doing this for, for a long time Craig. well i mean it's sort of like i mean i get asked this a lot but you know, if you haven't lived in the northern states, you know, where football, AFL isn't the number one sport, and really, let's face it, like probably 70, 80% of your list, you know, from either the Swans, Brisbane, Gold Coast Suns, and GWS Giants, 70, 80% of your list are all interstate kids. Mm. So if you can't create that family environment, and, and you know, we were, we were employed to do it as a family unit. I'm really lucky that I had an amazing wife and Melissa and my kids, my four kids, that really were always open to have players around most nights um, because they're going through all different emotions, whether they're homesick, whether they're not getting games or they're injured. Um, but it's a really important piece of the puzzle. Especially, I think it's for every club, really, even, even the clubs in Melbourne, Perth, South Australia and all that. But if you don't have that caring environment, you know, with retention these days, and you know, I know we'll touch on it later in regards to mental health and well-being, it really becomes very, very hard. So um, we, we adopted that early. Um, we loved having the players coming around. Every year I would ask my kids, just uh, were they comfortable with players? You know, we could have 15, 20 players come around on a Tuesday, Thursday night, and they always loved them coming around. They were their idols and like. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it was great. and It's always great to be able to help young players get through those tough times, but it is exhausting at times, and you've got to have a, have a really accepting family to help do it. Yeah, no, but I can hear the passion. I mean, you've got to have a passion for it, don't you? Because I suppose the, the go-home factor as you alluded to there, is as, as strong, I guess, as it's, it's ever been seemingly. And you went to GWS. You were a central figure in the formation of the Giants under, obviously, the foundation coach, Kevin Sheedy. But I wanted to ask for a time if you wondered whether you'd actually get back. And we won't spend all day on it here, of course, but yourself and Graham Allen, you're accused of hiding Lockie Whitfield from, from drug testers, which you both strongly denied, of course. But you definitely did the time off the back end of that. Was there a fair period of time, Craig, where you thought, geez, am I going to be able to get back to the job that I, that I love? I think there's always that in the back of your mind, Sam. I mean, it was, um, I mean, I, from an 18, 19-year-old, I started footy at Richmond Footy Club and um, was involved in the AFL system for 30 years. So um, when that gets taken away, you know, it was sort of, you know, you, you obviously what happened happened and um, you do have those sorts that maybe 
you, know, you might give back. And I've got to thank Dave Matthews and um, Jason McCartney, you know, and Leon Cameron. I mean, they they gave me a call late last year and um, asked if I was keen to get back involved. So it was great. I mean, we had a really good chat about what they expected from me. Um, I'm now in the corporate world working for a company. Fujifilm upstream and they've been so loyal to me so um, uh, so the balance is really good for me at the moment you know yeah. to be able to have the corporate life and also be able to get back into not only welfare and development but I really love you know it's a real passion of mine but to get back to a club that we started from scratch you know, I feel it feel really sort of fortunate that I've given the opportunity and hopefully hopefully the club feel there's a benefit from me coming back um, and I'm just looking forward to the future and I guess you're in a great position almost a unique position aren't you Craig to describe just how much the game has changed and it's professionalism but also I guess the microscopic nature of it the focus on these guys the pressure it's an intense workspace comparing it I imagine to your playing days when you were coming through yeah it is I mean, I mean the biggest thing is obviously the, the media coverage social media. You probably can't escape that. I mean, I know that uh, some players really don't utilise social media, but you see some of the, the comments that have gone on over the last three or four years and you really sort of, you just feel disappointed that um, our footy players, you know, and I know there's a lot of people doing a lot tougher than footy players um, around our country at the moment and I wish them all the best. You know, you've got these young players that move away from home. Um, I've just been watching the Olympics probably like yourself and all that and you, and you always hear, you know, these, these athletes that are talking about the infrastructure and their support networks they have around them. Mm whether that's coaches, you know, obviously it's family first. Um, but what, what's happened, I suppose, in the last five, ten years is that the professionalism of the game, how highly it's scrutinised is just amazing. And that's that comes with the, that's the nature of the beast. If you want to play elite sport, you've got to, you know, you've got to be able to deal with that because that's going to come. Back when I was playing probably, you know, 20 years ago, you know, sort of those things that probably people did um, flew under the radar a little bit. But these days, if you do make a mistake, you're going to pay the price. The, the AFL, all clubs do an amazing job with their educational systems. So really, it's just trying. I mean, it's it's the old cliche, guys, is that, you know, I know when I first got to, to Richmond, it was try and find the best player who works the hardest and just try and emulate that person and make sure, you know, that's on and off the field. And if I was giving any advice in a young player now, you know, who's coming into the system, you know, try and find those players that you admire that do it really on, right on the field, the mm. way they train and prepare, but also off the field. And if you can sort of emulate them in your own different personality, you, you won't do too many things wrong and, you, and hopefully you can have a great career. So there must be some giants there at the moment that are more elder statesmen of the competition, if you like, that you must be amazed now working back up uh, close and personal with after a little time away that you're just amazed at how they've come on? Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, like, let's face it, when they got there, they're all 18, 19. They're all based out of breakfast point. We probably need three hours for a... For a, for a um, to, to go through what was going on with uh, looking after 50, 18-year-olds um, when they're away from home, getting beat by 100 points most week. Um, but I, as I said, I had a, Melissa, my wife, did an amazing job just with um, with a lot of that help and support with that. And we had we had guys like Kevin Sheedy and Gabby Allen and obviously Dave Matthews and Alan McConnell. We really had some exceptional people early that sort of hey, we we had a we had a really good group that sort of understood good that you know one of our mottos was we, we're not going to draft a player we're going to draft a family and you can easily say those words you know it's like we want to become a family club but if you don't have the passion and commitment to commit to each player and family and take them along for the journey it's only words and players see through that and I think that if you, you spoke to any GWS Giants player and families and all that especially in those first four or five years when it was tough and we weren't winning I'd be surprised if anyone spoke unwell about the Giants football club and the support and the care that they got not just only for the for their sons, but also for, for them themselves. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life, all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Well, from Danny Nong to footy's big time, we'll chart Craig Lambert's path to the top level right after this.
You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're with Richmond and Brisbane club champion, Craig Lambert. Now, Craig, before we get on to your, I guess, your journey as a player and a youngster down here in Victoria, we were speaking during the ad break about, you know, the Lockie Whitfield situation and the difficulties you endured through that phase of your life. And you were just mentioning, if you can retell the story about, uh, you know, it was a, a couple um, at a game one day that basically snapped you out of your funk, wasn't it? Yeah, Sam, it was, um, it was amazing, actually. As I said, it was, it was, it was a tough, especially a tough 12 months. I actually went to a Giants final, um, in 2017 and obviously was there with a few friends and with Melissa and all that and um yeah you're feeling a little bit paranoid because you're thinking people are watching you and all that and um mm. I was just walking to the game actually this couple came over to me and um and I didn't know who they were they were in their probably mid to late 30s and they just asked me if I was okay and probably being the male and all that I said yeah yeah and um, I'm coping okay I'm going to I would appreciate that and then they said to me something that was incredible that sort of just helped me sort of turn the corner a little bit and just said that you know all we want to tell you Craig is that if um if our son was playing league footy, um, there's only one person we'd ever want looking after him, and that's Craig Lambert. And um, I actually started to cry, and it, uh, I thanked them very much, but um, they probably didn't even know the power of what they said to me on that night. So um, if they are listening to this, um, thank you, because it, uh, it meant a lot to me at that time. Wow. And looking back, you reckon that was the moment that you might have just started to turn the corner for the good? Yeah, it was just really nice. I mean, yeah. it was just nice. They didn't have to come up and, um, and say that. But I've always said, guys, I mean... What, you know, the bottom line is, you know, and I've met a lot of people over the last three, four years and all that. All I ever ask are people to look at the body of work I've done over 30 years and 30 years involved in football and not just as a player, but also having a family commit to these northern states, which, you know, we spoke about, they're very, they're very different than when you're playing in your home state of Melbourne, where, you, where players have got mum and dad, they've got their brothers and sisters, they've got that family unit. But all, all I ever ask are is that people can look at the, the body of work that I've done over the years and, and people have been amazing over the last two, three years, when you sit down to have a chat with them, they've been really positive. And, um, you know, I've never been better in my life, actually. My headspace is uh, going really well. No, that's great to hear and well said. But let's rewind to when you were in those boots, so to speak, Craig. Where, where was home as a kid? I was uh, I was born in Dandenong, um, and then we moved to um, North Dandenong when I was about 11, which anyone that lives in Melbourne knows is probably not North Dandenong. So I always say I'm, I'm from the Turak of Dandenong, North Dandenong. <laughs> but I don't think there's much Turak in Dandenong. So uh, I'm, I'm a dandy boy. Siblings? Yeah, I've got one brother. My, my brother is Mark, and he's um, he's four years older than me. So um, growing up, it was always a battle. We used to you know, punch on and all that. So um, unfortunately for Mark, Mark was more of a cricketer, um, and I was more of a footballer. So um, I couldn't play cricket, and he couldn't play football. <laughs> what about school? Was school for you? Yeah, well, uh, I went to Dandong Tech. Went to year 11, then I, then I did a plumbing apprenticeship. Um, and I did that. I finished my third and fourth year in my first and second year for the Tigers in 1988. And 89, so that was mm. when you sort of had to combine work and playing footy. So um, I'm a fully qualified plumber, but if you need any work, please don't ask Craig Lambert because <laughs> I'm absolutely terrible. I was just going to say, whenever there's a blockage at home, does Mel send you in there or does she call out for help? Sam, if she was, if she was listening to this now, she'd come straight in. She, she has to fix washes. She fixes everything in our house. <laughs> I am hopeless. <laughs> so, I was just very lucky I could handle the ball. Yeah, well, just on that then, when did you discover the game? When did you discover the game that you love, you're now still working? When did you first come across it? Oh, from a really young age. I yeah. mean, my, my dad, um, Billy Lambert, he, um, he sort of, like, he, he, we're, we're all Mayor Carlton supporters. So I was... 
I reckon I was five when I um, when Dad dressed me up um, playing for North Dandenong in the midget. Four years earlier, um, he'd taken my brother Mark and my mum Maureen said um, he was that excited because he always thought one of his boys had actually played league footy, which, yeah. is, which is a bit bullish really when you're only five or six. But um, <laughs> but he thought thought one of us make it, and obviously Mark he took Mark to the first game, and Mum reckons he came back and his head was down, he was gutted, and he said to my mum, he said, oh, Maureen, he can't play. He's talking about Mark, so he so he's put a line through Mark after. Age, age of five or six. <laughs> and then I, I grew, then four years later, I, I get a chance and he dresses me up and dad's all really excited and takes me down to um, North Dandy's Oval. Um, and supposedly I played really, really well in the midgets. He comes racing home to mum and says, we've got one here. He's going to be a star. This guy's going to play AFL, VFL footy. And um, he was right. And uh, it did, you know, the tragedy probably of that is, and uh, yeah, I lost dad when, after my first year at uh, Richmond actually he yeah. but, um, he had a brain aneurysm in his sleep so um, it was it was sad in a way but you know, dad was infectious he was a great role model of mine um, you know he got to see me play that first year at the Tigers um, which was amazing I think if he hadn't missed that that would have been really hard to take so uh, it's always yeah. hard when you when you're 20, 21 years of age and you lose your dad. Um, but he did see that first year in 88 when I played for the Mighty Tigers. And um, I'll never forget his face at the uh, club champion. I think I finished fourth that year and he just had tears coming out of his eyes. So, um, so at least he got to see me play. Brilliant. I mean, that's something you can really hang on to, as you say. That's brilliant. Now, going back, though, your old man would have been tickled pink because you might have been promising at five, but then you win the club BNF in under-11s, 12s, 13s. 14s, 15s, I think, and there might have been a league medal as well at the age of 15 as well. Were you going to give someone else a look in at some stage there, Craig? Well, I'm competitive, Sam. I mean, I like to win. And uh, it was, you know, I had one guy, um, Paul Spencer, who's a mate of mine, actually, um, and he always came second. And I actually... I actually remember an under, I think it was under 11s, I think, that um, I went there honestly thinking that Paul Spencer would actually, he deserved the best and fairest that year. And um, and I got it. And I, and I actually... You know, it's it's funny how you how we're all built with different mechanisms and all that, and people. But I actually went up to him and said, "Mate, this you should have won that tonight." He said, "Um, should appreciate that, Lambo." But um, I said that was it was a great time. North Danny was a really strong club. Um, when I was coming through, uh, and and to be honest, you know, we played in the grand final in under 15s, and we won that. That's probably the only grand final. I actually think I won, but it was a really good time. Great club, um, some great people there. Sort of got me on on the road um, to sort of. The ambitions of, of, of playing league footy, and um, you know the rest was history. Yeah. So when it comes to league footy, Craig, who spotted you first? Because you, you ended up at South Melbourne under nineteens, didn't you? Done your research, haven't you? Um, I, I played about nine games, might have been eight games for, for South Melbourne when I was. I think I was, I was about sixteen, and then I remember the coach there. I can't remember his name. Um, his next Melbourne player is is tough. Um, but he was really good. He just, I mean, I was, I was 16, really turning 17. And you know, when you're playing against 19 year olds, it's just the size difference was yeah. just insane. And yeah. um, I had a couple of reasonable games, but they were just too big and too strong. And I remember him, he grabbed me and he said, um, he said, I really think you're going to be a great player. He said, but you're just too small at the moment. So I reckon it's best you probably go back and play in the VFA at Dandenong. And I, and, I, and I thought he was right, actually. So I went back and played in the VFA at Dandenong. And um, I was playing senior footy before I was even 17 years of age. And it was probably a blessing disguise that um you know had a guy you know had some really good mentors there Lou Wright was a coach Darren Hall was probably the star player back then who was who was dominating the VFA and um Nick Hawkins was another guy that played for Caulfield who was a really he was a really good mentor of mine that actually sort of kept pushing me to keep going back again I was always going to go back for another crack and then my brother my brother's best mate his uncle was a recruiter 
for Richmond. He said, you know, would you mind going down and have a look at this young Lambert kid? And um, yeah, yeah, right. He did. He did. And um, thank God, I must have played okay. <laughs> and then I got, in, and then I got invited to um, down to Richmond under 19, which was probably the start of where. I reckon my handball developed with um with the great Doug Surley who was my coach. Yeah, okay. And what what were your early impressions of life like at, at Punt Road Oval then? I think Michael Roach was still there, Jimmy Jess, Dale Waitman. There were some big names there from another era, if you like, a successful era too. Well, it's, it's so intimidating. Uh, people who, I mean, it'd still be intimidating now. I mean, like, you, I, mean, I, was, I was a tragic Carlton supporter, but, you know, look, Guys like Dale Waitman and Michael Roach, Jimmy Chess. I mean, like, I mean, it's insane to be able to think like you're actually you're getting changed right next to them. You, yeah. You're training, you're trying to make a list. Back then, there was a list of hundred people, so there was a lot of people you had to get past to actually make that list of fifty players. But I mean, the Rich, Richmond history is just you know you walk into Punt Road, you look at those teams in the '60s and '70s and '80s, and you know it was. It was just incredible for a for a for a 19 year old to to live a lifelong dream. And I said I didn't play any Teal Cup, I didn't make it. I was always a fairly good junior, but there was always probably some slows on me that maybe I didn't kick the ball well enough, maybe I wasn't quick enough. But you know, through some really special people that believed in me and kept sort of putting some faith in me, I, I kept hanging in. I am a competitor, um, and then things started to open up. Yeah, and in that first year, you got a crack at it. 1988, you played 21 of 22 games. I mean, it, it's a success by any way you want to measure it. Yeah, and the, the, the ironic story about that, I actually, when I went down to 19, we, we got beat by North Melbourne in 1987. Got beat by four, four points, and that was when Swatter was playing, Mickey Martin, those sort of guys, Anthony Rock. So that was a bit disappointing we lost that one. But but I had a really good year, and um, I won the BNF, um, Tony Free and Trent mm. Nichols. And so, so I thought that I put myself in a pretty good position. wasn't guaranteed to get on in the list of um, AFL level or the level back then but I thought I put myself in a really good position to um to make it we had all our trial matches um and I couldn't get a, I couldn't get a run in the senior and I was starting to get a little bit deflated and I was and, and I was I was struggling to get on the starting team in the twos but while watching some of my teammates running 19s playing really good footy in the seniors and I just couldn't work out why I wasn't getting an opportunity and um I didn't know this until three years after it happened but um I was nearly ready to Played our third last trial match up at Nana Doon somewhere. It was up the bush somewhere. But um, there was 20 people on the bench for the twos game. And I was, I was the last person to get on in the last quarter. And I, I had 12 touches in the last quarter. Got my bags, had the shits up. I thought, this is going nowhere. I've done, I don't know what I've done wrong, but I'll go back and play in the BFA and I'll, um, I'll, I'll work hard and see whether I can get to another club. But little did I know that um, Doug Searle had rung up Kevin Bartlett and said that if you don't play Craig Land at the next two trials, he goes, I'm going to quit as the under-19s coach. Now, I, I had no idea. I got a call from the reserves coach, which was Emmett Dunn, that I was playing in the seniors uh, at Latrobe against Collingwood. Mark Lee was coming back from injury, so you can imagine the silver service I was getting from the big general. Um, <laughs> it was uh, it was quite easy, actually. So I, I had 35 touches and, 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 and played a really good game, and obviously KB saw it. And then um, KB grabbed me after the game and said, geez, I was really impressed with the game, Craig. And I said, I, I couldn't believe he was talking to me, guys. I, I was so nervous around KB early. And um, and then I got a call from him on, on the Monday, and he said, listen, we've got one more trial match, and that's against um, uh, Footscray. Uh, the Western Oval, and I want you to play in the seniors. Back then, being 19, you don't know that, you know, you're Dougie Hawkins and Brian Royals and all those superstars, you don't know that their last trial match, they're probably not trying, right? But I, but I, did, I didn't know that, but, but I played that game, I had 42 touches, um, and then... On Sunday night, Kevin Bartlett rang me up and uh, he said, Craig, he says, I want to make sure you know that tomorrow in the Herald Sun, we've got a list of 50 players. He goes, you're not on that list, so don't, but don't panic, right, because you're on the proper list and you'll be playing your first game 
against Melbourne this Saturday, um, round one at the MCG. Wow. Um, and so I turned around in about three weeks because Doug Searle um, went to bat for me and um, and I'll for, forever be grateful for that. Oh, indeed. What a sliding doors moment and, and you never look back. It's an amazing tale. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You can find them at tobinbrothers.com.au. So after this bright beginning, Craig Lambert's career is really about to take flight and that's up next. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with All-Australian midfielder Craig Lambert. So, Craig, you're runner-up in the Jack Dye medal in your second season, 89, and you win it in 91. The Jack Dye medal, what did it mean to you? What Richmond do really well, and they've done it for a while, is they, they take you through the history of the club. And um, obviously, to win a Jack Dye medal was just um, it was insane, really. I mean, like three, four years ago, I was... I was wondering whether I'd ever play league footy at all. Be able to stand up there with a the Jack Dye medal around your neck. I mean, it's it's a memory that I'll never forget. Lucky Jack, um, before he passed, come and spoke to the group, and I'll never forget just the passion in his voice. You know, to be a Tiger, it was just incredible. So to have that for me is um, something not just myself but my family really cherish. Um, you know, Richmond gave me the opportunity, um, and to be now to be able to call myself a Jack Dye medalist, um, no one can ever take that away. Any contract incentives back in the day, Craig? <laughs> I worked out in my first year in 88. I made $9,000. Right. Um, and I didn't even look at the I didn't look at the fine print of the contract. I, I, I was on matchy. So I only got paid if if we won or we lost. And if I was in the top five in the best and fairest. Right. Okay, so there was no base at all. And we only won about three games that year, four games. So luckily, I, I think I came fourth in the Jack Dye medal that year. And that's where I was able to pick up another five or six grand. So the handball was your trademark. We touched on it earlier. It was instinctive, it was accurate, and it was fast, sometimes too fast for teammates. What what was it about that part of your game? And you mentioned when you got to Richmond, it was a skill that was really cultured for you, but it became your one wood, and um, you used it to devastating effect. Yeah, I, I sort of like I, mean, I always handled as a junior, um, but through that under 19 year where um, I formed a really good relationship with, with Doug Searle, he was just an incredible mentor of mine. And I remember Doug Searle coming up to me through the pre-season and after a couple of rounds and, um, and we were a really good side like it was going to be out of us and North and the Premiership and North got us by four points and, and Doug was pretty clear clear to the point and he just said, um, he said Craig I've never seen anyone win the ball as good as what you can win the footy he said and I've coached some really good players he said but if you don't become an elite handballer he said I think you'll be a good player but you won't be a great player which you should be and I really did work hard I mean like it's um, as I said I did handball a uh, a fair bit during juniors because I did like the, the art of handball, but I did go to another level in that 87 year, just making sure my footwork was right, my contact was right. So I'd do 15, 20 minutes before every session and all that and just make sure I could actually... And then all of a sudden it became infectious. You know, I was winning the ball a lot in under-19s and obviously, uh, you know, once I got my opportunity at senior level and the game's so quick, you know, and you've always got some really good outside talent around you. It, it was, for me, an assist was as good as kicking a goal. So um, yeah. Yeah, the thrill of that should be able to pinpoint a handball where a lot of other people couldn't find that gap or find that space to be able to put someone into a hole. It became really infectious for me to see 
how creative and how good I could become as a handballer. So you're on top of your game personally here, Craig, but the team's success is a long way off. And these were tough times for the Tigers in the bottom few on the ladder every year. And really for a big part of it, survival wasn't guaranteed either. There was the Save Our Skins rally of 1990 and you'd only just got to the club at that point and this is all unfolding. Your head must have been spinning at various stages there. Yeah, it was. I mean, at Save Our Skins, pretty hard to sort of dismiss it. But I don't know, we, we, had, we had a lot of young guys back then. We had Freezer, you know, was a young captain. Mm. We had Wayne Campbell coming through. We had Matthew Knight. So we had, we had some really good young players coming through. And I, I don't know, I just, I've never, you know, I, I was around Brisbane, you know, Brisbane Bears when there was, you know, when obviously there was a few coaches that unfortunately lost their jobs and all that. It becomes quite political. Um, I've always tried to sort of keep my distance and just worry about what I can control. And, um, you know, it was hard. And I was getting tagged every week, you know, and um, in a side that wasn't going well. And back when taggers were taggers, where they'd maul you and, you know, double team you, ta- these days, these days guys get tagged. These, these days guys can get 35 touches for 12 weeks in a row, and someone tags them. They go, "What's going on here?" Yeah, um, so yeah. it's, it's a bit different. But it was, it was, it was hard. But it, but it toughened you up. And um, as I said, there were some really good people. Kevin Bartlett was was a really sort of positive influence on mine. And um, you know, the the hardest thing for us was just sort of trying to detach yourself from what was going on off the field. Mm. which is easier said than done. And we've seen that over the years when when clubs get into a bit of turmoil and there's some dramas, you know, whether it's political or uh, administration stuff and all that. But, you know, that's where you need, you really need your leaders to step up. You know, you lead, you know, you, your older players to say, guys, you can control your controllable. Um, and and I've, I've always been one that sort of do what I do well in regards to on the field. Um, if people want to ask my view in regards to how I feel about something, you know, that, that's that's another thing. But it's just, I think that when you have players wanting to administrate, administrate is one of the players, so it's, it's, not, it's not a good mix. KB, obviously a club great, legend of the game, was sacked in 1991. If we skip forward to 1993, John Northey's taken over as coach. It w- would be your last season at the club. Craig and uh, I wanted to ask how it had it ended at Richmond after the 1993 season when it came to perhaps renegotiating another contract to stay. What actually took place? Well, this is another one that not a lot of people know, other than probably Kevin Sheedy. Um, but in a '92, Kevin Sheedy rang me up and um, and said, "I'd like I'd like him keep here." And I actually thought it was one of the best mates, and I told him to nick off. I thought he was taking the piss, but it was actually Kevin Sheedy. And, um, so we met at the Melbourne Inn with Roger Hampson, and oh, it was incredible. Actually, like he had. He had the the list of the Essendon on his clipboard, and he had me as Rucker over. And he said, he said Lambo, he said, mate, I reckon you could be fantastic. I really like this team. I reckon you can do some damage in 1993. And me being Mr. Loyal, and um, it's one of the qualities of... I'm always fairly, very loyal. Um, they were offering me twice as much as what I was on at Richmond uh, at, that, at that stage. So I thought about it, um, to leave and go to Essendon. And then... I went back to the club and said, listen, Essendon are really keen to get me to the footy club. This is what they've offered me. And the Tigers came back and I think they offered me 10000 less, which I was comfortable with. I went back to Shoot and said, Shoot, I really appreciate it. I'm honoured that you feel like a big, big part of Essendon, but I'm, I'm going to stay at the Tigers. And he was really cool about it. As you know, the Baby Bombers won the Premiership that year mm. in 93. Yep. I think we finished second last. Then once the season finished, I started hearing all these rumours about um, the club were trying to offload me with Jeff Hogg to, um, to Fitzroy. And I didn't, didn't take much of it. I didn't think it was serious. And then a couple of weeks went past. I got a phone call from, I can't remember, it might have been Glenn Worry actually, um, from Fitzroy. And he said, oh, we we confirm now that um, we want Chip Fitzroy and um, Richard wants you to leave in the part of the 
trade with Jeff Hogg. And, um, and I said, well, I, won't. I can tell you one thing, Glenn. I, I won't be going to Fitzroy. That's no disrespect to you. Um, but let me clarify it back with the Tigers. So, yeah, so, I went back so and, Fitzroy yeah. broke the news to you, not Richmond themselves. Yeah, no, no. I got the call from Glenn Murray, I remember. Because right. it, was, it, was, it was spoken about that it might be happening. But, but I still didn't believe it because I thought I had a really, you know, what, six years at the club. And I'm not saying 93 was my best year, but it wasn't terrible. Um, so I just thought maybe it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. I could play my whole career at Richmond. And Glenn rang me up. And then I had to go and talk to Cameron Thorpe and um, some of the officials there and just say, listen, is it true that you're, um, you're looking to trade me? And, 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 and I get, you know, like I'm, I'm not bitter. I mean, like you get disappointed when people trade you when you think you give your service. But you want people to be upfront and tell you what's going on. And, and they did say that, listen, we'd be comfortable if we did this trade. And I just said, Cameron, um, I won't be doing the trade. Um, I'll be going into the draft um, and I'll be trying to get to the club that I want to get to. And obviously that following year, I tried to get to North Melbourne um, unsuccessfully and uh, ended up the Bears. But I, I, I never intended on leaving on return football club. I mean, mm. they were so good to me. It was always sad because how it came out in the media um, was it that I was looking to get more money um, and, you know, to try and get to North Melbourne. But in fact, it was purely just based off of the trade needs of Fitzroy. Um, and I said, well, I'll just go on the draft. So the rest is history. But there's no better, there's no bad feelings towards um, the Richmond Football Club, honestly, have been extraordinary to me. And Benny Gale and, you know, everyone at that football club, I've just got to thank. So it was just one of those things where they thought they were better off getting those two or three players from Fitzroy in. Yep. I'm trading myself and Jeff out. Yeah, yeah. And just with the Kangaroos, though, that they were the club you wanted to get to via the draft. Am I right in saying you'd, you'd as we see commonplace now still, you'd put a price on your head to make that happen? Well, I was, yeah, I was, I was trying to do the same in Melbourne. I mean, you know, all, all, all my family was in Melbourne. Um, and I just, as I said, like, you just, you, you've got managers that you work with and all that, and you're trying to do the best to stay in Victoria, you know. I mean, North Melbourne were the first ones. I mean, I remember you know, Dennis Pagan rang me straight away once once it was in the air that, that, that I was going to leave Richmond. Dennis rang me and said, listen, I want you at North Melbourne. And the only problem is, you know, North, I think North finished maybe sixth or seventh that year. So, yeah. um, you know, and, and then it's ironically that Brisbane Bears were the only club that probably didn't reach out and say they were going to get me. And I mean, Sydney Swan flew me, flew Melissa and I to, to, to Sydney for a week and showed us what they had to offer and all that. Um, but I was just keen to stay in Melbourne. In the end, I, I was having a sandwich at Barry Young while we were doing our training because you guys had know it was a March draft back then. It wasn't a November draft. You had to wait, that pre-season draft, you had to wait to March. Mm. So you had to do all your training. And I was sitting there with Barry Young at a cafe in, um, in Bridge Road and uh, I heard the news that I'd be going to the Bears. So uh, the, uh, the sandwich fell to the floor pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon. So I think the figure you put on your head, we'll talk about inflation since, might have been around 194, 195,000. And the, the bears said, stuff it, we're swooping in and we're paying it. Yeah, it was incredible. I just, um, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't believe what was happening because I, as I said, I, I thought Sydney were really going to, Sydney said it all along because Ron Joseph was their GM of footy. And um, Ronnie, you know, Ronnie's a pretty, yeah. uh, he's a hard nut. He said, said he said, Lambo, put whatever you want on your head. He said, but we're going to get you. And I said, Ron, you got to pick three. You can do whatever you want. Right? So I actually thought I was going to go to Sydney. And then out of the blue, it became, you know, as I said, I heard it on the radio. And um, and then I rang, I just got engaged to Melissa and I rang her up and she was howling. And then um, <laughs> then I rang my manager up and he said, now, now, now Lambo, there's going to be a press crew come to the cafe now and I need you to be positive. And I said, you want me to be positive? Is that what you're saying? 
mate. Right? We haven't heard from Brisbane Bears. I'm fair skin. I wear a long sleeve, and I'm going to Brisbane Bears. I'm playing football in Brisbane. How on earth can I be? How, how can I be positive? And then you get there, and you and you be positive. And as I said, I wouldn't change things for the world. I made some amazing friends at Brisbane. You know, to be. You know, Michael McLean, was, he's like a brother of mine. You know, he's godparents to our first child, Briley, our daughter. Um, you know, to, to, to come through with the likes of Voss and Lappin and mm. Lepidges and Akamanises and the Scott boys and all that, you know, it was a pretty special moment. So things happen for a reason and you just got to make the most of them. I love it. We're talking to Craig Lambert on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lies. We'll be back to talk bears, lions and all the rest of it up in Queensland with Craig Lambert right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Craig Lambert is our guest today. So, Craig, you get up to Queensland, it's hot, it's humid, you got the long sleeves on. What are your first impressions of life at the Bears when you get there in the pre-season of 94? Robert Walls is the coach, Roger Merritt is the captain. Well, it wasn't, I have to be honest, it wasn't great. You know, obviously, obviously that I, I was on a fair bit of money, <laughs> and every most players back then knew exactly what was going on, and I remember we had a meeting with Robert Walls, who was a, we'll get into Wallsy later, but he was fantastic for my career, he's just an incredible person, but um, we had this meeting, and um, it's quite iconic when you, you think about special moments in your career, and as you get a bit older, you lose track of some of the real special moments that happened, and um, there was probably 60, 60 players in the in the gym room, and I remember Nigel Lappin, who was a mad Richmond supporter, so he came over and half gave me a hug, right, and um, he, he was the only person that looked like they wanted to talk to me, like everyone else was just staring at me like, I thought I was going to get killed in the gym room actually right um because of you know, the, the the perceived money that i was on and um and i remember thinking geez what have i done here and uh i look at and, and and to be brutally honest i didn't know a heap of the players anyway i probably knew probably maybe 30 40 percent of them and i remember michael mclean who was, as i said before i mean he's got parents him and linda got parents to our daughter briley and just like my brother and um he walked over i don't, don't know whether he sensed the moment that how uncomfortable i felt in that room he walked over and he was the most respected person at the Brisbane Bears. Just an incredible player, incredible person. And he walked over and it was like silent. Everyone was watching him walking over to me and I was, I was sort of sitting down on the bench press. I got, and I got up and I'm looking at Michael McLean coming over and I'm thinking, oh my God, the one bloke that I love here and respect, he's, he's now going to come over here and spray me. I'm, I'm, I, was, I was just dreading him coming over and he came over and he put his arm around me, kissed me on the cheek and said, brother, going to be awesome playing alongside him, mate. And it was just like that acknowledgement from Michael McLean. Then all of a sudden the other players started to sort of feel like, although you know, they might have been a bit put off with the monetary thing and all that. They thought they were probably going to get a really good player to their club and help with their culture and um, their build. And off the field, I guess you gravitated a bit to the younger fellas too. It might have been a sign of what was to come in, in your, your career in current day. But although I heard the table tennis battles could get a bit heated, Craig, and did a few bats get thrown when he got rolled back in the day up there to the youngsters? Yeah, well, I didn't get rolled that often. Um, <laughs> but, but when I did, there'd, there'd be a bat flying at someone's head. You know, one bat said, well, you can't lose that competitive streak. I mean, that's what, that's what drives, you know, drives all athletes, you know, whether whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, you know, that, that inside fire that sort of burns. And yeah, we used to have some epic table tennis games and, um, you know, if I got beat, I wasn't too happy. But I mean, you know, you look back now with, you know, with a bit of time and experience and all that, but, you know, to be able to, to, be able to come through, and I said before with guys like Nigel Lappin and Michael 
Foss, Leper, Scott Boys, and Acker, and, mm. uh, and the list goes on. Just and, and at the time, you knew I was really talented, but you probably didn't know until probably 95, 96, and they got to 21, 22, how special a talent they were. And then all of a sudden, you had Blacks and Powells and John Browns and these sort of guys. It was just a, it was an incredible moment to be there. And, you know, I got there in 94. You know, obviously, there was a few coaches that went. And then to see this young group come from nowhere and to see what they achieved, you know, in 01, 2, 3, and unfortunately got rolled in 04, was pretty special to be a part of it. Concussions. You had your fair share, didn't you? Yeah, I did. What do you make of the awareness in this space or the increased awareness in this space nowadays? And, and is it enough at the moment? Well, I think, it, I, think, I, think, I think everyone's trying to do the best they can. It's just, um, you know, it's just, you know, back when we played, you know, not many people knew much about it. I was in my position, you know, as an inside mid. You know, that was that was your job. I think your job was to go into a pack, no matter what was coming at you, and to win that footy and extricate the ball. You know, like, and, you know, I, I do get a little bit concerned at times, you know, as I'm getting a bit older in regard to the memory component and all that. Um, I think I think all codes, you know, the AFL are doing a great job at trying to sort of protect the head at the moment, and, and you'll call them for that. But, you know, it sort of gets back to, you know, the athletes sometimes, they probably, I think I think most athletes would tell you if they get a really bad concussion, they tend to know, um, you know, the way they feel inside about whether there's something that's going on. So it, it's a, I think it's a mixture. It's a mixture of, you know, I think the, the game's trying to put in some really good rules to protect the head. You know, if, you, if players go after head, they're going to get reported. But I think it also comes back on the players and, and then the medical staff to actually just all be on the same page that if you if you are concussed, you know, we don't we don't want people, you know, having memory losses and, and you know, brain diseases as they get older because our life's pretty short, you know, if you're lucky enough everyone says you get, you know, you know, maybe 10, 10, 12, 14 years out of the game and you know, you you retire you know, normally as a 31, 32, 33 year old and you think that's old. It is it is old in three terms, but it's young in life. So um mm. it is something I think we just gotta keep on working at. But you know, as I said, there's been some massive inroads the last probably ten years on protecting the head and hopefully they can continue to do that. I guess that chase that uh, didn't get there in the end for team success now that sits with you all these years on I think your eighth season you finally play finals it's the Bears first ever final it's 1995 against Carlton at the MCG you're playing seven more there was two prelim losses to North in 96 and 99 and you mentioned 93 could have been Essendon it wasn't you retired in 2000 when obviously the calf wouldn't uh, wouldn't stand up for you and Simon Black and a younger generation of midfielder are coming through they win three straight premierships how do you look back on it Craig, because footy, obviously, for all its riches, can be a cruel game, and um, it can be about where you're at in any particular point in time and the timeline. How lucky you are to be in it? Yeah, it's a good question, and it's um, you know, it's one that I get asked a lot, really, because um, it is sliding doors. But I mean, I've always been a I've always been a person and a player that says, you know, I preach this when I when I'm when I'm talking to younger players, even when I've got back this year, and you know, even in a part time role. But I mean, I'd be more disappointed if you guys thought that I didn't get the most out of myself as a, as an athlete with the mm. talent that I, that I had than me being able to sneak a grand final at the age of 31, playing a quarter and a half. I mean, what, you, what your aim is to be the best you can be, you know, and if that, if that includes premierships, well, that's a bonus. And, you know, they are the things that we play for, let's face it. But, you know, with my journey, it was just unfortunate that, you know, you know, probably the way that I played the game, back when you didn't really have sports science to be able to measure what you were doing out in the field, you know, obviously the hits that you were getting. You know, if, that, if you had sports science back when I was playing in the first probably five to seven years, you would have they would have eased up my training when I got to Brisbane. But when, when I got to Brisbane, we were a developing young team and I had Robert Walls, who I admire so much, and I'd, I'd bash and crash for two hours on a weekend. 
And and then we train for three hours. And he'd say, Lambo, I need you to be the best trainer on the track to make sure the Lappins and bosses all know how we go about footy. So would I change? Mate, I wouldn't change it for a world. But I mean, bottom line is, is that, you know, some of the things that get said to you when you, you know, and I said before about that couple that sort of helped, you know, three or four years ago. But, you know, sometimes you get, you're out with your wife and all that. And, and, and then a person will just come up and say, you know what, Craig, I just love the way you went about your footy. You've got everything to get out of yourself. And, and that means so much. Yeah, so, you know, the premiership's probably hurt. My mum and my brother are probably in my life are probably more disappointed that um, I couldn't be able to pinch one in the end but all you can do is be the best of yourself yeah. and, um, and hopefully people would say that about Craig Lambert No, absolutely and you got the most out of yourself no doubt about that over a, a long period of time and the resume speaks for itself Craig, been a pleasure to catch up today you were, as I say, a gifted player you've now got the resume, the accolades to match and, and you have well and truly given back to the game in the years since where obviously your experience and advice has been so important for the next generation of player up in those northern states well done on all you achieved and thanks a lot for joining us really appreciate it guys got a ball and thank you for joining us also you've been listening to this is your sporting life for tobin brothers funeral celebrating lives you can just jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate the life of another sporting icon it's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.